and welcome to Cloud9Fin, a podcast on all things leverage finance. We follow corporate debt from issuance to redemption, credits from performing to distressed, and everything in between. I'm Bianca Borer, a distressed debt reporter at 9Fin. Today, I'm in Milan sitting with Bruno Kova, shareholder and partner at law firm Greenberg Trailrig. Bruno is European co-chair of the firm's restructuring and insolvency groups. Uh, Bruno recently joined the firm in April, and before that, he was partner at Wilkie Farr for three years. And before that, he spent 14 years at Paul Hastings, where he opened their Milan office. Before entering private practice, Bruno worked in the public sector with a variety of roles. Most notable was his role as chief counsel to administrators for Parmalat, which was the largest fraud and insolvency case in Europe with 21.2 billion euros of restructured debt. He also worked as chief compliance officer for the EBRD, general counsel for ENI or ENI, and FIAT. Um, he also had a stint in the Italian Navy. So yeah, thanks so much for joining us today, Bruno. It's a great pleasure to be here with you, Bianca. So um, yeah, you've had quite the varied career so far. How would you say your roles in the public sector have influenced your work as a restructuring lawyer? Uh, particularly when large companies are involved, uh, there is uh, always a public element in uh, restructuring. In Italy, in fact, uh, we have uh, uh, special laws uh, that uh, uh, regulate uh, restructurings of large uh, companies and insolvencies of large companies where there is clearly a uh, public element in that the government has a role and uh, there is also a, a social angle to this which drives the restructuring. So <clears throat> having had experience in the public sector has certainly been helpful. As a former member of the European Commission's working group on the reform of community law on cross-border bankruptcy, can you tell us a bit about how you contributed to this? Yes, yeah, so the European Commission uh, did a uh, uh, fascinating uh, exercise at the time. This was uh, uh, to uh, review the European regulation on cross-border insolvencies, but also to uh, produce the directive uh, on uh, the reform uh, of uh, insolvency law in uh, Europe. So the European Commission uh, launched uh, a number of initiatives, uh, including uh, the working group. Uh, the other initiatives were, for instance, giving uh, uh, a mandate to two universities to study the issue. So being part of the working group, uh, first of all, gave me the opportunity to see how our money is spent as European taxpayers, and I think in that case it was well spent, but also contribute uh, the experience from my uh, country and uh, my own professional experience in terms of how certain institutes had worked in practice or certain ideas would work uh, in uh, the context of uh, real restrictions. And um, yeah, so as we mentioned in the introduction, Parmalat was Europe's largest restructuring and um, fraud scandal. Um, you acted as chief counsel to the administrator. Can you talk us through what you uncovered? Well, as you said uh, during the introduction, Parmalat was uh, at the time, and I believe still now, Europe's largest fraud. It came uh, immediately after the big American cases, Enron, uh, WorldCom, Global Crossing, and so on. And uh, uh, it was, in fact, a fraud that had been going on for several years, and it was on a massive scale. Uh, th there was a thorough investigation that was conducted, and uh, the, the outcome of that is, uh, is public, so I'm not talking about something that is covered by confidentiality obligations. 
but practically everything what you can imagine can go wrong in the corporate sector did go wrong uh, in terms of financial fraud, bribery, market abuse, and uh, uh, so on. From a restructuring side, it was, of course, a very complex uh, situation given the amounts involved, but also the fact that the company uh, was present through subsidiaries in uh, uh, 33 different countries. And uh, so the, the, the international dimension of the case uh, was very much relevant, uh, and uh, um, we, we, we really had to uh, manage what was uh, a, an extraordinary complex uh, project, which uh, fortunately went uh, well and uh, also within a, a relatively short uh, uh, amount of time. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear about all your other big profile cases that you've worked on since um, joining private practice. Are there any sort of notable ones you'd like to, to mention? I've been lucky enough to get involved in uh, more or less all the large uh, restructuring cases in Italy, to, to name uh, about a few, Seat Pagine Gialle, Mobi, uh, Safilo, Risanamento, uh, Alitalia, uh, Lucchini, uh, mostly on the creditor side, occasionally on the company side. Uh, another big transaction I worked on uh, was the setting up of the Pillarstone platform for KKR, and uh, more recently, uh, advising the Adog Group uh, on the restructuring of Officina Macaferri, which was uh, the, the first example of a loan-to-own uh, strategy successfully implemented in Italy. Great. So, yeah, I mean, I was looking through the Italian bankruptcy regime on my way here. So in July last year, we, we saw the, uh, the reform. What do you think the benefits will be of this, uh, this new change? Yeah, this was a change uh, long overdue. The, the, the Bankruptcy Act, uh, which was in force until then, uh, dated back to 1942, which, uh, uh, considering that uh, a war was going on, was a bit odd time to uh, issue a new uh, law on bankruptcy. So after 70 years, finally the country has given itself a, a new law. Um, the, the main benefit to me is uh, the, the consolidation of various the stratifications of changes that had occurred over the years to modernize the old Bankruptcy Act. Uh, but also there is uh, there are quite strong instruments to, uh, to, to draw the attention of the board of directors to the situation of the company. Uh, so this consists uh, on a duty for the board of directors to create uh, a, a, an internal control system that would allow them to detect uh, a situation of cri crisis in advance. Also, there are external parties like uh, the members of the Board of Statutory Auditors or public authorities that now have uh, a duty to inform the Board of Directors if uh, they detect uh, a, a, an element that is indicative of a potential crisis developing. So this. Uh, should and hopefully will uh, help uh, uh, the, the emergence of situation of crisis in a more accelerated way compared to the past, which means that there is going to be more time and more flexibility to address the restructuring uh, of, uh, of a company. Great. I mean, do you think as well, on the other side of it, there's any drawbacks to these changes? Yeah, yes, I do. I think, uh, first of all, uh, it was a bit of a lost opportunity because 
the the new code in fact doesn't address all insolvency situations there are still situations which are governed by different statutes uh, the the so-called prodibis law and uh, the marzano act uh, and in certain sectors like the banking and insurance sector ad additional rules so there is um, um, that, 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 that fragmentation has not been cured which uh, in my opinion is a, is a pity personally i don't see why we should have all these systems which also create uh, a an uncertainty for creditors in terms of what rules will in fact apply in case uh, of uh, of an insolvency also there are uh, there has been uh, a shift towards giving more power to uh, tribunals so in that respect it was a bit of a step back compared to the, the previous regime um, which d d doesn't help uh, in in some situations because of the uncertainties of going through a, a judicial process uh, the the timing the costs associated with that and uh, uh, and, and, and also the, there are mechanisms that uh, uh, may not work very well in practice like this mechanism whereby th any protection measure that is ordered by a tribunal can last uh, for a maximum of 12 months if uh, uh, that had been the rule at the time of the officina macaferri restructuring for instance the the restructuring would have failed because the company would have been subject to uh, aggression by creditors so uh, that particular rule is uh, is a rule that uh, I believe should be uh, reassessed and in fact the the, the code as uh, a sort of inbuilt mechanism whereby a commission uh, will uh, uh, assess the the performance of the new rules and uh, uh, recommend the changes if changes are needed and how do you think the Italian bankruptcy regime differs from from others in Europe well we we, we talked before about the war of the working group for the European Commission and uh, the European Directive. So uh, the, 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 the laws of Italy are now closer to the laws of other countries, which is a good thing. I mean, if we want uh, the European Union to be uh, one economic space, then of course addressing restructurings and insolvency should be done uh, in, uh, in a way that uh, is... Uh, is more harmonized uh, so that capitals can flow more uh, freely the, um, the differences remain uh, i would say that generally speaking uh, uh, creditors do not enjoy in italy uh, the same rights that they enjoy elsewhere also because many of these processes have to be done in court they suffer from the fact that the judicial system in Italy is not uh, a very efficient one. It is uh, one of uh, the issues that the country uh, has. And in fact, uh, um, some of the funding uh, that the European Union is given Italy in the context uh, of um, all the financings that are given to various member states uh, to, to recover from uh, the pandemic uh, are conditional upon reforms of the uh, judicial uh, system having said that in my experience you can achieve in italy as a creditor an investor the same result that you can achieve uh, 
in any other European jurisdiction. It's just a matter that uh, it may take a bit longer and you will need to do it in a different way. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of European companies go to the UK courts to implement their restructurings. I guess one example I can think of is Cimolai in Italy. But in general, I think Italian companies prefer to use the Italian system. Um, I mean, could you explain why, why that is? Yeah, this, um, let's call it form shopping. So the ability to uh, deal with the rest, to, to use instruments of another country for restructuring uh, is something that... Uh, uh, has indeed been used in Italy, not very often. There are various reasons for, for, for this, uh, and uh, mostly these reasons have to do with uh, an unfamiliarity with, uh, with the process. So not many uh, advisors, whether they're financial advisors or legal advisors, have had uh, experience in uh, using these processes. So uh, as, uh, as ever, people are reluctant uh, to go into new grounds and the other thing is that uh, it is uh, difficult to imagine that an Italian court uh, would readily accept something that is happening in another uh, in another country this I think is particularly true for the UK following Brexit uh, it may be easier for instruments uh, in the Netherlands or, or, or similar ones but in um, cases including uh, one recent case uh, uh, I could see a, a clear disfavor of Italian judges with uh, having uh, part of the restrictions handled by a, a judge in another jurisdiction. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess we'll close off with a final question about the outlook for restructuring going forward in Italy. I mean, what sort of sectors do you think we should be looking out for for upcoming distress situations? Yeah, um, I I wouldn't look at this specifically from a sector standpoint. I mean, a, a few months ago, uh, I would have certainly mentioned the energy sector. Now things have changed uh, dramatically in that sector. So that's a sector that uh, I believe... Uh, is uh, likely to have um, fewer issues than it was expected months ago. But uh, certainly um, there are some factors that uh, will be drivers of restructurings in the next uh, several months. Uh, one is that uh, interest rates have uh, gone up, so uh, it has become more difficult for companies to refinance themselves, or if they can do it, they typically do it with uh, a higher interest rate and also all those support measures that have been introduced by parliament uh, to support com companies during the COVID period have now disappeared. So depending on the maturity dates of um, loans uh, and the bonds, uh, I think we, we will see uh, probably not this year, more likely next year, uh, certain situations. Uh, then, uh, in terms of the sectors, it will really depend on uh, how certain industries are, uh, are doing. For instance, uh, one sector that may suffer in Italy is the automotive component sector because it's mostly geared to the internal combustion engine. So the, the, the more um, electric vehicles will be produced and fewer internal combustion uh, vehicles will be produced, uh, uh, certain suppliers of components uh, who are based in Italy will have uh, a shrinking uh, uh, turnover, which obviously will create uh, 
province in servicing the debt. Okay, great. Thanks so much again for coming on today with us, Bruno. My great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you have any feedback on today's podcast, please feel free to reach out to us by emailing team at ninefin.com. Be sure to also tune in next week for another episode of Cloud Ninefin. See you then.